Last week we went through the parable of the sower and the seed. We mentioned how it would be more aptly entitled the parable of the soils. Four different soils, only one of them is good. The next one, it's just too busy, too fertile, too many loves going on there and it chokes out the main love. We have the other soil that it is just the hard pathway. It is just way too hard and God's word simply doesn't penetrate. The enemy, he comes as he steals, kills and destroys and he snatches away the word of God before it's able to germinate and bear roots and then there's also the rocky ground there's there's soil but it is just far too shallow for God's word to go anywhere in today we're given three different parables and Jesus turns his attention and now these three parables are all speaking about the devil's tactics and trying to destroy the church for first from without then alongside of, and then from within. And it's important for us to know our enemy's tactics. How does he want to steal, kill, and destroy? How does he steal from us and rob our joy? How does he take from the life of the believer and even from the kingdom of heaven? But here in verse 24, we'll read the first parable. Jesus says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. We've seen one of the enemy's tactics, as I mentioned, that hard pathway, that hard soil that is just compacted. The seed can't get in, so the enemy comes in Matthew 13, verse 19. It tells us that the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Here we see the enemy unable to snatch away the good seed. He just goes again and adds some more seed of his own. But this seed among them is tares. It is bad seed that is sown amongst all the good seed. There's that saying, if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, each of us, maybe you've been there. You're playing pickup sport with someone, pick up basketball, and you kept getting beat, getting beat, getting beat. So say, hey, I'm on that team now, right? If you can't beat them, you say, hey, I just want to join them. So many athletes today, if you can't beat them, just join them and try to get those uh, Super Bowls or those championships. But here these tares are believed to be the Darnell weed. The Darnell weed. It's a problematic weed because you can't tell the difference between the Darnell weed and wheat. They look so similar that it tells us that it's not until they're growing and there's a certain amount of growth that now the servants of the master can say, hey, there's tares among the wheat. I thought you used good seed. I thought you used healthy seed. And yet there's so much of these false wheat. 
This is exactly what the Darnell weed would be referred to as in the Middle East, oftentimes called false wheat because it looks so similar. And one of the greater problems is that Darnell seeds are harmful and can even be fatal if ingested. So these two plants are only distinguishable once they grow to the point that there's fruit at the top of the wheat. And once there's fruit on top of the wheat, uh, Joe Fo says it actually begins to bow down while the tares continue to just stand straight up more and more. How we need fruit in our life. Is there fruit in your life? Is there good fruit in your life? Because this is one of the key differences between the believer and the unbeliever. Between the wheat and the tares. Do we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us? Are we known for our love and joy and peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control? The owner of the field, he did not want to damage any of the good crops. As the tares grow, their root system would be entangled with the wheat. And we see the servants lacking patience and just wanting to uproot everything and deal with the problem right away. We can think of the patience that Jesus has with people when they do not receive him compared to the lack of patience in his servants. We can consider the disciples. Were these men known for their patience? Not at all. Total lack of patience. In Luke chapter 9, verse 54, Jesus, he's there, he's ministering, and it tells us the people did not receive him. So the disciples, James and John, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, they're not receiving you. Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Lord, they didn't receive the gospel, so let's just fry them all. That's what you want us to do, right? These men lacked patience. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, speaking about God's patience, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When we deal with unbelieving friends and family, we can lack patience. When are they going to get it? How bad do things have to get? How Can they go any lower? Can, is there another rock bottom? And the answer is yes. Don't you remember when you were there? I love Travis Carey. He'll, he'll hopefully be here this next uh, Sunday. But he says, whenever you hit rock bottom, until you humble yourself, it seems like all of a sudden you find a whole crate full of dynamite. You blow up the floor and you find a new rock bottom to hit after that. And God, his patience towards us is because he desires, he wills that none would perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. This is the heart of God. Are we not grateful that the rapture did not come uh, six months ago or a year ago or two years ago? If we just got saved, we are super grateful that the rapture hasn't happened yet. We need to have this same patience with unbelievers. In verse 30, the owner of the field says, Let both grow together. Give it time. Give it time until harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather the tares. Bind them into bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. 
Another reason why I think there's so much patience with the owner of the field is because Romans chapter 1 verse 20 tells us that all of mankind is without excuse. All of mankind. No one coming to the face of God is going to say, you didn't give me enough time or you made me this way. You forced me to not choose you. You didn't allow me to choose you. No one's going to have an excuse to bring up to God. I also believe this is a big reason why God is so patient with the lost world. No one's going to be able to come up to heaven and give an excuse on why they did not accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. We know he desires that none should perish, but we know he will leave all of mankind without excuse. He will allow both those that bear good fruit and also the crops of the evil one to grow together. But on that day of judgment, that day when he says enough is enough, he will harvest all of mankind. He'll harvest it all together and then he's going to separate the tares from the wheat. Commentator David Brown, he says, let them both grow together till the one has ripened full of salvation and the other ripened for destruction. May we ask the Lord, Lord, change my heart. I want to be bearing that good fruit. We'll look more at the explanation of this parable later on. But now Jesus, he brings up another parable, the parable of the mustard seed. Verse 31 and 32, another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." There's seven parables here in Matthew chapter 13, but we're only given the explanation for two of them. So there's five, and this mustard seed is one of the five that we don't have Jesus' explanation for these parables. We have to be careful because many like to make full-on doctrines based upon these parables and their own interpretation, their own insight, and then their own application. Be very weary of that. One thing we should look for is biblical continuity. The, the different characters in this parable, what do they mean throughout Scripture? Because many look at the parable of the mustard seed saying the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, it starts off as something small and then it just continues to grow and multiply itself. There's no doubt about that. The gospel started with one, Jesus. Then he ministers to 12. We have 12. Those 12 minister. There's 120 at the upper room. Those 120, they become 3,000 and then they just continue to multiply. There's no doubt about that. And some believe that the kingdom of heaven is just going to continue to grow here on earth until the kingdom of heaven takes over everything here on earth. This is called amillennialism. It's one that believes that there's no true millennium, but that believers just make things better and better, and we fix things, we get into government, we fix the government, we solve world hunger, we solve all the world's problems, and then there's only two problems left, death and sin, so then Jesus comes to fix that. And this was a popular belief for many centuries amongst Christians until two main events in world history, World War I and World War II. Because there's nothing like war to show mankind is not getting better and better. 
I mean, how many of us truly believe the world is a better place today? Said no one ever. You ask any old man, is the world a better place? Back in my day, right? We hear that. And now I'm that guy at 35 years old saying, back in my day. We, we all go through that. Mankind is not getting better and better, but the more money and the more power, it just continues to reveal our sinful nature. We're not capable of fixing ourselves. We need Jesus to come, save the church, and then fix the whole entire world. In Matthew 24, Jesus also promises more and more wars until he returns. He promises more and more tragedies, more and more problems until he returns. So what is this parable actually telling us? Again, the importance of looking for biblical continuity. And one of the main players here within this parable that we've seen before, it's the birds. Before we look at that, let's turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. I don't know if you remember back in grade school, they would teach us how to read a map, and then there'd be a little key at the bottom right-hand corner. And it will tell you what each little symbol in the map means. Now we just have Google Maps. I don't know if kids learn what, uh, what maps are or how to read them. But here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives us a key for the parables. Because in Mark chapter 4 verse 13, Jesus says to his disciples after they've stayed, they've drawn nearer to him and they ask him, they ask him about the parables, and then he tells them in verse 13, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake immediately they stumble. But here in verse 15 we see that it is Satan who comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Hard heart. Satan is the birds of the air that we see here in the first parable. In Matthew 13, verse 4 and 9, he says, The wicked one comes and snatches the seed. Mark 4, 15, he says, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, he says, The devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts. So we know that Birds are not good here, but that birds within these parables represent the devil, Satan, and the wicked one. G. Campbell Morgan, he says, Birds lodging in the branches most probably refers to elements of corruption which take refuge in the very shadow of Christianity. And biblically, as you look from Genesis to Revelation, Birds are not seen as something good, but something evil and wicked and problematic. Just like when you wash your car and you see a bunch of birds coming, it's not good. It is evil, it is wicked, and it is problematic. A mustard seed, it was the smallest seed that they would use in this day and age. 
Orchid seeds, no doubt, they're smaller, but a mustard seed is the only tiny seed like this that you would sow to now reap a crop. And mustard seeds would grow into a mustard bush. And at the largest size, you would get a 10-foot bush that would have mustard seed, which you could use. You make your curry powder or if you use mustard, different things like that. At best, you get a large bush, but never a mustard tree. Just like if someone tells you, hey, I have a mango bush in my backyard, you should say, oh, mango what? Mangoes don't grow in bushes. They grow in trees. It is a similar thing here that Jesus is presenting. Jesus is here warning of unusual growth. Unusual growth. And as we read throughout the Old Testament, we see a small remnant that is faithful to God. It is not the masses that are faithful. It is not the mainstream that's a part of the kingdom of heaven, but it's just a small remnant which is obedient to Jesus, loves Jesus, and obeys his word. We can look at Matthew chapter 7, so important for us to be mindful of. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Today, Christianity, especially within our nation, has become a huge thing. This idea of Christendom, this huge group of people that label themselves as Christians. Yet how many of them would be willing to identify themselves as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ? There are many that say, hey, I'm a Christian, but they are like the birds simply lodging in this overgrown tree. They're not true believers, and it can get more and more problematic. Today, there are many birds lodging in the growth and in the bush, the tree of Christianity. We have Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, which many would say, oh, you guys are all the same thing. Christianity, Bible, Book of Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, you guys are all the same. But if we look at what each of these belief systems see Jesus as, they are completely different. Some say he's Lucifer's brother. Others just say he's a good man. He's a prophet. He's just one of many. But the true biblical belief says he is king of kings, lord of lords. He's God himself. He is the lord and savior of mankind. And here you have these birds of the air acting like, saying that they're a part of it all, and yet they're not a part of the true kingdom of heaven. Even within Catholicism, there are many Catholics who are indeed born again and love Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord and love the Word. But Catholicism is a works-based religion. They say you need faith in Jesus Christ and you need to keep the sacrament. If the blood of Jesus Christ is enough, there is no and to salvation. Salvation is faith alone in Christ alone. You add this worshiping of Mary and praying to different idols, indulgences, and many other unbiblical things within Catholicism, even the Pope talking about gay marriage and all of these different things, it is a bird of the air just nesting in the branches of the kingdom of heaven. And it's not just Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Catholics. Even many 
who are within the Word of Faith movement. Where did they get this thing from? Protestants, many Protestants. Where did they get this thing from? Where did Jesus say to his disciples, name it and claim it, lip it and grip it? That's what you got to do, Peter. Satan's coming to mess you up, but you just got to lip it and grip it. That's what, that's what you got to do. You don't see that anywhere within Scripture. How about the health and wealth movement? Nowhere in Scripture. Jesus says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And yet we have these many birds nestled in the branches of Christianity. Some of the largest churches in the world today are pretending to be Christian, but they are something completely different. And the reason they do this is they try to add more weight to who they are because they say, hey, we're the same. We're just like the Christians. However, if they would just come up with a whole new name for their religion, right? Hey, we're making a new religion called Zabri Zabri Zaroni, and this is what we believe. Nobody, everybody say, these guys are crazy. Where do they even believe all these different things? But they say, hey, we're Christians. We're just a little bit different, and they don't add to the kingdom of heaven. What do birds do? Do they add to the trees? No, they eat from it. They eat away at it. Now in verse 33, he says of another parable, no, no de- definitions for the different pieces in this parable either. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till all was leavened. Some Christians, they read this and say, the kingdom of heaven is going to expand on earth. Like a lump of dough that you throw leaven in, it's just going to keep growing and growing and growing. And the whole world will become a dough ball of Christians and it's all going to get better and better. But this is where we have to remind ourselves of biblical continuity. I mean, you, you guys are biblical scholars. Is leaven a good thing in Scripture? No, leaven's always a bad thing in Scripture. Leaven is a symbol for corruption, For evil, for sin, and corruption, evil, and sin, God wants nothing to do with. All over Scripture, from Exodus to Revelation, leaven is not a good thing. In Exodus 12, verse 15, speaking of the Passover, he tells them, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove all the leaven from your house. Whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. That guy hiding croissants in his fridge during the Passover, he's cut off. Cuban bread, Puerto Rican bread, he's not allowed to be a part of the Israelites anymore. For the offering, Leviticus 2 verse 11, God says, No grain offering which you will bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For the characteristics of the Pharisees and even of Herod, now here in the New Testament, within the Gospels, Mark chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus charged his disciples saying, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He gives us what is this leaven in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. Leaven is not something good in Scripture. It is evil. It is corruption. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And here we have Paul addressing a church, warning them of having leaven within the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Paul is addressing the church of Corinth. They have a member within their church where the church knows he's living in sexual immorality. This church member is in a sexual relationship with his stepmom, and the church knows about it. The church is bragging about their love and grace towards this individual. But Paul's not having any of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, Paul says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If you're a baker or a pizza maker or anything with bread, you know that if you add just a little bit of leaven to dough, it will continue to permeate and take over the whole entire dough ball. It's not just one section that grows. The whole entire lump of dough is going to continue to grow. And it's the same with evil in our lives. With sin in our lives. You can't just say, I'm going to just allow a little bit of this in the workplace, but it's not going to affect my marriage. It's not going to affect my kids. It's not going to affect my home. I'm just going to allow a little bit of this on my phone, but this is only my internet life. This isn't my real life. No, any amount of sin in our lives will take over our entire life. We must deal with the evil and sin and corruption in our lives, even if it's a tiny bit. And then we need to pay attention to the people we love and the people we're responsible for. Because if we're allowing leaven into our home, it will take over and permeate our entire home or our entire church. Warren Wiersbe, he says, the mustard seed illustrates the false outward expansion of the kingdom. While the leaven illustrates the inward development of false doctrine and false living. G. Campbell Morgan, he says, leaven represents the paganizing influences brought into the church. And here Jesus, he's showing us a pattern of prophesying and warning his disciples. This is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And is this not what the church in America is mostly like? Paganizing influences? How many churches today? It's all about just numbers, getting numbers, getting numbers. It's sad. You talk to people in church, does your church care about you? No, they just care about the people I can bring to the church. They, they don't care about me. They just care about all the other people I know, and they just keep telling me, bring them to church, bring them to church, bring them to church. Once I was talking to someone who was in charge of another children's ministry, and we were talking about VBS. They said, we don't do VBS. Our kids, they're ready, our kids. We want to get the other kids that aren't a part of the church. And so much of church is not about glorifying God or edifying the church. It's just about numbers. The church has been paganized. Where now it's about the concert. It's about the environment. It's about the vibes of the church, if you would, right? Got to have the cool coffee shop. Has to look right, feel right. And the church has been paganized. We have to be careful with this even within our own lives. Are we looking and acting more and more like our Savior? Are we looking and acting more and more like this world? 
Jesus, he warned us, the first parable, sower and the seed, that the enemy comes to steal the seed. If that doesn't work, then he throws bad seed amongst the good seed. If that doesn't work, then he hides amongst the false growth within the church. And if that doesn't work, then he pours in several measures of false doctrine into the church. We see this woman, she pours in sneakily, she's hiding three measures of leaven into the lump. If, again, you don't add three measures of leaven to bread. You don't do that. You add a tiny bit of leaven to bread. This woman adds three doses of leaven into this bread. And all over the New Testament, there's a warning for false prophets, false gospels, and false doctrines. We can turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to bounce back and forth between Matthew 13 and Matthew 7 here. Matthew 7 verse 15, once again, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? These church movements, these pastors, what are they feeding on? Are they feeding on the word of God or do they just feed on the sheep of God? That's how you can tell a wolf from a sheep. In Matthew 24, verse 4 and 5, Jesus warns them, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Matthew 24, verse 11, he says, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. In 2 Peter chapter 2, he warns of false prophets and false teachers. And finally, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need to test the spirits because there's many false doctrines, false gospels, and false teachers out there for the masses to believe. we got to be so careful in this day and age. So much of the popular pastors today are the worst of the worst. It's the, it's the pastors that say, it, it almost makes you laugh if it would not be so sad. You have pastors today saying, I just can't fly coach anymore because there's demons in coach. That's why I need you to tie so I can take a private jet. Only the Holy Spirit's allowed in my private jet. And then I'll fly around town. Again, it is madness, but it is, they're feeding on God's people. They're feeding on the sheep. We need to test the spirits. They say they're Christians. They act like Christians, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And even amongst unbelievers, as long as you keep things general, as long as you keep things spiritual, most people are okay with it. You talk to a friend at work and you tell him that you like to pray and meditate in the, in the morning. Far out, man. Me too. I, I like to meditate. I like to go in my backyard and lay on the grass and just pray up into the sky. And it helps me clear my head too. Oh, you go to church on Sunday? That's awesome. For my mental health, I go to the beach on Sunday mornings and I just lay out there. I do a couple of hmms and haws and it helps me feel better too. But now the moment you say, I had to turn from my sins and wickedness, and I had to repent and turn to Jesus, all war breaks out. The moment you mention that name, 
all war breaks out because Jesus is at the crux of everything. He's what reveals to us the true believers and all of the false believers. What do they believe of Jesus? Do they believe the Jesus in the Bible or have they created their own version of Jesus that always agrees with all of their sins and issues that they want to hold on to? Sadly, this leaven has permeated many churches and even church leaders today. Watering down the word of God. They barely believe the word of God as the actual word of God or that it's inerrant. They don't believe sin is really sin. They've watered it down and they've allowed this corruption to take over their churches. Many church leaders today, they don't believe cheating is a sin or pornography or masturbation. You, you have your own needs. You got to take care of yourself. Homosexuality, gender dysphoria, they all just say this was the way you were created and made. It's okay. And it's sad because it's not just that churches are staying silent on this, but many churches are condoning these sins. Their church leaders say this is their identity and these destructive behaviors destroy people. You look at the life expectancy for a heterosexual man compared to the life expectancy of a homosexual man, and you'll see this is a destructive lifestyle. It's not how television paints it. And sadly, there are churches that have allowed this corruption to permeate and take over the lump. We have to be careful. We have to pay attention to what we're feeding on and what we allow into our eye gate, what we allow into our homes. Verse 34 and 35, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Here Jesus, he's referencing Psalm 78, verse 2. And Jesus goes through this season in his ministry with the multitudes where he would only speak to them in parables. Again, imagine if you would come to church this morning and I say, all right, guys, let's pray. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal till it was all leaven. Let's close in prayer. Right? And we just pray and we, some of you, hey, we get to watch the game quicker. I like that, right? But this is the teaching for the multitudes. And what we see, if you're reminded from last week, what's the difference between true disciples of Jesus Christ and the multitudes? Disciples, they press in and they ask questions. Disciples, they're not just good with the surface stuff. They want to press in and get to know Jesus more. Here the disciples, they press in and they ask Jesus, hey, explain to us this parable of the tares and the field. The multitudes, they didn't care. They just said, oh, the teaching today was the seven. I like how quick it ended. It ended too quickly, right? At least he tried his best. I give him an A for effort. That's what the multitudes were doing. But disciples of Jesus Christ, they draw nearer and they ask for more. Are we asking for more? We can think of the multitudes versus what Jesus tells his disciples. I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends. But the servants don't know what the master is doing, but I call you friends. The, the Lord, he wants to speak into your life. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal some of the things he's doing in your life. There's certain things we're not going to know. You look at the book of Job, certain things we're not going to know until we get to heaven. But God wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to. Are we asking him? 
Once again, be weary because there's only two explanations out of the seven parables given. Be weary of doctrines or church movements based on the parables without explanation. People can get pretty weird with their interpretations, explanations, and then their application. So here in verse 36, Jesus is going to reveal to the disciples and to us what the parables of the tares actually meant. And he's going to just go rapid fire here. Verse 36, Jesus sends the multitude away. He closes in prayer. Worship team come up. Then he goes to the house and his disciples, they draw near to him and they come to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and he said to them, he who sows is the, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Jesus doesn't hold back. He doesn't say, hey, you have to pray this, you have to do this. No, he answers them right away. Parents, there's no doubt there's certain times when we have to tell our kids, you just have to do this because I said so. You have to do this. It's an emergency. I said this. You just have to do it. But more often than not, when there's time, we should be able to sit back and explain things to our kids. We, we should be able to do that. And here Jesus, he explains it to his disciples and he says, hey, the sower is the son of man. The sower here in this parable of the tares is Jesus Christ himself. The field is the world. With the four soils, the different soils have to deal with the hearts of man. But here the field is the whole entire world. The good seeds which the sower Jesus sows in this parable are the sons of the kingdom. The tares, if you remember that false wheat that does not bear fruit, it's the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed is the devil himself. And the harvest will be at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels themselves. Satan and the way he works, he causes these make-believers to be peppered all throughout the world to throw people off. Damien Kyle, he says, these tears cause problems in the world. They marginalize and discredit true believers. They stumble, confuse, and discourage and derail unbelievers as well. This is the whole purpose of the tares and why the devil casts them all throughout the world. People who say that they're Christians, yet there's no fruit in their life. And we see this today. Many athletes, they say, hey, I, I, I won the game because the man upstairs. And they're on their fourth marriage. They got 20 kids and they're going to go in debt because of the child services that they got to pay for. They, they say that they're believers, but there's no fruit in their life. You have musicians, you have artists who say that they're believers, then they become anti-Semitic, then they blame everybody, and they say all these things about their ex-wife, and you have Christians saying, no, man, they're the real deal. No, there's no biblical fruit in their life. We, we have to be careful with this. And what these people do is they cause us to be marginalized and discredited. I don't know if you've ever invited someone to church and they say, I'm not going to church. I, I went 10 years ago and this is what so-and-so did to me. 
I used to go to that church, and that pastor, he was using all the money to take his girlfriends around the United States. I used to do this, and this so-called believer acted in this way. And they discredit us. They marginalize us. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a room, perhaps some of the college students, you're in a classroom, you say, hey, I'm a believer and this is what I believe. And someone else says, yeah, I'm totally a believer and I believe you got a name and a claim and the angels and the demons and all this stuff. And you just say, I'm not associated with that individual. <laughs> we, we are not the same. I always think of uh, the Incredibles. I'm not associated with him. I have nothing to do with that person. We are not the same. This is what happens in the world today. And they cause unbelievers to stumble It confuses them, it discourages, and it can even derail a young believer. During COVID on TBN, you have pastors saying they're going to breathe COVID away with their very breath. Again, it is, it's confusing to me. It causes me to stumble if I'm, if I'm honest. And this causes problems. This is why the devil, he sows these tears all throughout the world. Now, our job, if you remember the parable, is to not become tear sniffers, right? Maybe you're here and you're looking over your shoulder. Yeah, that guy behind me, definitely a tear. I don't see, I don't see any, any fruit in them, right? You're elbowing the person next to you. Hey, are you, are you a real deal or are you, are you a tear? What, what's going on here? That's not our job. The job of the servant was not to judge. Our job is also not to pluck or cut down or tear away. This is God's role. It is God's job to judge mankind whenever he pleases. Our job right now is to pay attention to our lives and the fruit in our lives. We should be fruit inspectors for our lives, the lives of the people we love, and the people that we are entrusted to care over. Our, our family, our friends, all the husbands here, your wives, all the wives here, all the moms here, your kids, your sphere of influence, it is your job. You're going to stand before God in heaven and you say, what did you do with what I entrusted into your care? And this is where we need to pay attention and judge the fruit in our life and the lives of our family. Charles Spurgeon, he says, this parable powerfully teaches that it is God's job to divide in judgment. Magistrates and churches may remove the openly wicked from their society. The outwardly good, who are inwardly worthless, they must leave. For the judging of hearts is beyond their sphere. We get into a lot of trouble when we're judging people's hearts. Their actions, we know all what they did and why they did it and all this stuff. And the person's like, I don't even know why I did what I just did. It was just based on impulse. And we're trying to judge hearts. We can barely judge our own heart. Be careful trying to judge others' hearts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it tells us, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But... Let each one take heed how he builds on it. If we're here and we're saying we're believers, we need to pay attention to our lives and say, how am I building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ? Am I digging deeper? Am I trying to lock my life more into Christ? How am I building on it? And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul tells his son in the faith, Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. 
Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Our job is to not say who's a tear and who's not a tear. Our job is to pay attention to ourselves and to the word of God. And continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So often we can blame all the problems on other people. Anybody else here like that? It has to be someone else's fault. I remember a season where marriage was rough. My marriage with Amanda, it was rough. Lord, what is going on? What is happening? It's all her. It's all her. It's all her. And then finally you have a moment of clarity and God says, it's all you, bro. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and it's all, it's all me. Take a step back. Take heed to yourself and the doctrine. You're super selfish. You're super lazy. That's why your marriage isn't going well. Because of you, dude. It would go a lot better if, yeah, if you'd fix yourself. We need to take heed to ourselves and to the doctrine and continue. We search God's word. We use God's word as a mirror. Lord, how am I living compared to Jesus Christ? How am I living compared to his word? Verse 40 through 42, back in Matthew 13, he says, Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. And they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. A few things for us to look here. It is those who practice lawlessness. It's not the person that just sins or the person that just sins and falls short of the grace of God. It is those who practice lawlessness. Their life is a habitual life of practicing lawlessness. Their very character is not living according to the word of God. So don't allow the devil to condemn you or scare you. If you're doing your best to seek the Lord and be obedient to his word and you sin, hey, you repent. You confess your sins before man, you confess your sins before the Lord, and then you move forward. But once again here, we don't see the world getting better and better. All we see here is a day of reaping when the owner of the field says, it's time to reap. Where everything that is offensive to God, all those who practice lawlessness are going to burn and burn forever. We see here a burning with wailing and gnashing of teeth. Some people want to preach hell as just a season until you become crisp, you get fried, and then that's it. You cease to exist. We don't see this in Scripture. What we see here is there's either an eternity in the presence of God with no more tears, no more crying, no more shame, perfect bodies, perfect food, family, friends, perfect peace, or an eternity apart from God. In fire, in hell, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Other parts, Jesus speaks of a worm that eats away at the mind. Perhaps the memories of each time the gospel was presented to that individual and they just hardened their heart again. Charles Spurgeon says, The fate of these ungodly ones will be fire. The most terrible of punishments. But this will not annihilate them, for they shall exhibit the surest tokens of a living woe, wailing and gnashing of teeth. When we think of people and hell forever, do we laugh about it? Do we joke about it? Or do we, like Jesus, 
Our hearts are broken and moved with compassion. We think of our unbelieving friends and family members and co-workers, and instead of just being angry or saying, forget them, we say, Lord, you, Lord, you got to work in their hearts. you got to move in their hearts. Lord, this is an eternity apart from you. Fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth. May we see things in the light of Jesus and the way he sees them. However, for the righteous, verse 43, it says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The lawless and the offensive will be cast into fire forever, but his sons and daughters will be brought closer to him and they will shine like the sun. We'll look more and more like him. We will not need to fret or worry about evil ones and their plans. Just focus on the Lord. Many Christians today, they're just news junkies, news junkies. And they're not filling themselves with more peace or more joy. We're filling ourselves with more anxiety, more fear, more worry, more anger. Don't fret. Don't worry. Be informed. But know that God looks from heaven and he laughs. He looks from heaven and he laughs. And one day we shall see their rewards. All of mankind will reap what they've sown. Psalm 91 verse 8 says, Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. That's why it says, First gather the tares, gather the wicked, the lawless, throw them into the fire, and then gather the wheat. Grab those that are bearing fruit. Grab my sons and daughters and bring them into the fold. Remember the enemy and his tactics. First, he comes to steal the seed of a hardened heart. If that doesn't work, then he throws bad seeds amongst the good. If that doesn't work, then he hides amongst the false growth. And if that doesn't work, he pours in several measures of false doctrine. we got to pay attention to our lives. The enemy loves to come and infiltrate the good. He loves to plant false Christians among us, to plant false growth, and to pour out tons of false doctrine. Friend, which kind of so-called Christians do you find yourself with? Are you with those believers that barely look like believers and that's why you like being with them? Because they cuss and they say nasty things and they say dirty jokes. Because they sin all the time and they help you feel better about your own sin. Be careful. There are many people that will say, Lord, Lord, and not enter the kingdom of heaven. Or do you find yourself more at peace, more at home with believers that are desiring to look more and more like Jesus Christ? Those that have been preordained and predestined to be made into the image of his son. We, we have to be careful with this because wide and broad is the way to destruction. And many go that way, but the narrow is the gate. That leads to life, life everlasting. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll close here. We'll read a little chunk of scripture here, and I, I believe it goes right in line with what we should be paying attention to. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 21. Here Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way. That leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Are we about our Father's business? Are we doing his will? Not our own will, not the will of our family, not the will of social media, not the will of what's popular. Are we doing the will of our Father in heaven? And perhaps today, and you're starting to freak out, I don't know if there's any fruit in my life. What Jesus tells us to do is don't worry about fruit, worry about abiding in him. He says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. See, that's our whole issue. It's not about outward works. Outward works don't save you. What saves us is an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to bear much fruit. So, so what's the fruit of your life? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it resentment? Is it four-letter words? Is it gossip? Is it politics? What's the fruit of your life? Or is it truly the love of Jesus Christ? A looking more and more like him. A desire to see other people getting saved. Is there good works attached to your life? Because pay attention to scripture. The difference between the tares and the wheat. One bears fruit. One does not. The good tree, the bad tree, the good trees, they bear fruit. Jesus tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So the worship team will come up. Hey, let's all stand. And we'll close in prayer. There'll be pastors up front for prayer afterwards. Again, we'd love to pray with you. Any, anything that you'd like to pray about. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, Lord, we just pray that you'd help us, Lord. In, in this new year of 2024, Lord, help us to abide with you more than ever before, Lord. May there just be a hunger and a desire and a love for you, Lord. And Lord, we pray if there's anyone here and they've left their first love, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would repent, Lord, and they would redo the works they once did, Lord. That they would return to you, Lord. And they would be, whenever that season was, that they were on fire for you and about your will and about your business, Lord, that they would return to that, Lord. Lord, and for those who are here, Lord, and they're just tired and weary, Lord, a season of taking care of elderly parents or a season of taking care of sick family members, Lord, or just one of those difficult seasons, Lord. I pray that you just encourage them, Lord, that they'd be abiding in you amidst all the chaos, Lord. Lord, we pray that you'd be with us, Lord, and bless us, Lord, whether we need to come up front for prayer, Lord, uh, whether we need to fellowship and, and grab a burger, grab some lunch in the cafe and just fellowship with the believers, Lord, help us to be about your will and about your business. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.